my name's Jared, and I'm uh, so glad that you uh, came today. Thanks for being here. I hope you're doing well. Uh, you're looking really good. And I'm very impressed for those of you who were here last week, and you're back again this week. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, I talked about how to be Christian in politics, and uh, I didn't know if we were going to have a group fair called a small group this morning, or whether or not some of you would come back, but you did. Uh, I've, I've heard that uh, <clears throat> there were some conversations about being Christian in politics this past week, and uh, I'm very happy to have been the nuisance in your life that helped stimulate some of those, and it looks like you're getting along fairly well today, so that's great. Well, uh, you know, there's one of the um, Old Testament uh, tribes of Israel that their distinguishing characteristic was, it said, they understood the times. And I think that one of the things that uh, God's Spirit does for us is is he wants us to take God's eternal word that never changes and time which is always changing. And he wants to give us insight in our times in how to apply his word. And uh, the result of that is that we follow in what Jesus is doing for us. And so I hope to accomplish that today uh, in talking with you about risky faith. So uh, it, speaking of time, uh, <laughs> we had some extra air miles or something. And, you know, if you don't use them, you lose them. So we actually get old school Time magazine. It was kind of cool. It came in the mail yesterday. And apparently we are not the only people to have noticed that we are in a rather distrustful political environment. Can you believe that? I thought Evergreen had the corner on that. But lo and behold, somebody else in the world noticed that as well. And in the current uh, issue, let me read briefly a portion of an article. It says, pollsters long ago found an overwhelming and ironic disconnect between the American people and the two candidates elected to lead their respective parties. More than six in 10 voters say that candidates Clinton and Trump are not, quote, honest and trustworthy, end quote. This kind of distrust runs both ways, you know, and it feeds upon itself. The candidates push to live in glass houses of constant scrutiny have become unusually wary of revealing themselves this year, jumping to the end of the article. No part of American society has escaped the civil furies of the past 15 years. With public trust in fundamental institutions, including the courts and the media and organized religion, all declining. It's a distrust that breeds defensiveness, yielding further distrust, and unless we collectively choose to believe in each other again, it'll only get worse. End of paragraph, period, article. That's an upper, isn't it? There we go. Yeah, it's no news for us that we live in a culture of distrust. It's probably no surprise that over the last 30 years, every decade has shown a markedly decrease in the trust that we have of each other. Now, I want to hasten to say that some of that's just being wise. When you read the Bible from one end to the other, there is consistently a theme about who we should trust. We often call that one God. That wasn't a trick question. God. We sang about it today. I trust in the blood and righteousness of Jesus. I don't trust in any frame. And what is a frame in that verse? A human being. We get it. In fact, the Bible has plenty of instructions for wise people about not trusting the wrong people. We get that. 
But there's something far more fundamental happening. And that is our distrust as a culture is causing us to disintegrate in some ways. And yes, in the church as well. David Brooks is a columnist that I uh, happen to be interested in reading from time to time. And he also thought this week that it might be timely to mention something about trust. I quote, I'm beginning to think that this whole campaign is being blown along by an acrid gust of distrust. The two main candidates are remarkably distrustful, but these nominees didn't emerge in a vacuum. Distrustful politicians were nominated by an increasingly distrustful nation. A generation ago, about half of all Americans felt they could trust people around them, but now less than a third of us think that others are trustworthy. And young adults are the most distrustful of all, with only about 19% of you millennials believing that other people can be trusted. The corroding thing about trust is, in life generally and in a church specifically, is that it's self-destructive. Distrust causes us to isolate ourselves, which alienates us from others, and we ended up being corroded in our own human souls. So our question as followers of Christ is how can we live wisely in an increasingly distrustful culture, finding our way toward being trustworthy and trusting of others? It will not surprise you that the Bible is very clear in a pathway forward. We understand our time. What is God saying through his word and his spirit about how to follow Jesus through this time? In a moment, I'm going to read with you from Romans chapter 12. We'll start from verse 3. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles or in your devices or notice it on the screen, we'll see those words together. But first, let me give you the big idea of the proposition that I want to suggest and support today, and it's this. We can choose to trust each other, and we can choose to be worthy of that trust as trustworthy people. Let's read what God has to say about it in Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we Though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy... Do it cheerfully. (laughs) Be nice with a smile. Period. We'll pick up in the second half of our talk uh, another passage that immediately follows that. But here's what I deduce from these first few words together. Number one, you are different. Number two, I am different. That just confirmed what all of you suspected about me for a long time, didn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah. Number three, we live in a culture that causes us to default toward we don't trust each other. 
And not just because of cultural influences, but because of our own experiences of life in being let down by others. And then here's the paradox in the passage. We desperately need each other. Isn't that a mess? I'm different. You're different. We don't trust each other naturally, and we desperately need each other. Over the past few decades, the decline in social trust has correlated with an epidemic of loneliness. In 1985, how many of you were around to remember 1985? Yeah. Few of us, yeah. 25% of us said that we had no close friend. In other words, someone who we could really share candidly about our lives. Today, excuse me, 10% said we had no close friend. Today, it's 25% of Americans say they have no close friend. So when we refuse to open up our lives to others, they refuse to open their lives to us because we're waiting for them to disclose themselves. And the cycle of that is increasingly an environment of loneliness. A study of American ages 45 and up found that 35% of us suffer from chronic loneliness compared to 20% just 10 years ago. We are distrustful and we're paying the price of loneliness for it. And it's not just 45-year-olds and higher that are having this connection difficulty. I spoke with a friend. None of you have ever met him. He is a business owner. He is a husband. He is a dad of two young kids, and he is becoming very successful in the business that he started about 15 years ago. As a result of that success, he is now enjoying income that has a zero or two after it sometimes in what he earns in a month of what some of his lifelong friends earn in a year. And in our conversation, he discussed how awkward his conversations with some of his long-term friends are. And in fact, instead of them being able to celebrate with him, all kinds of ugly and awkward things start engaging. So I said, so how's your search for new friends coming? He said, well, apparently not that well. Let me tell you about Saturday. Saturday, he went to the country club, and he doesn't know anybody there, but he played golf with three new guys, and uh, those new guys were potentially new friends, but after their 18 uh, holes, they went into the clubhouse, and they wanted to hang out together, but they didn't know each other, so they all got wildly drunk. And then he said, I drove home. And I said, how's that working for you? And he said, well, not too well. He said, my wife got up in the middle of the night and she wrote me a very long and specific letter about what might happen if I continued that. Now, he was not excusing. He was not explaining. He was simply saying, I am not doing very well on my search forward to fill this loneliness and friendship gap that I have in my life. So, As always, God's word is very clear for us. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was inspired to write to you and to me a pathway forward about how to find trusting relationships. And notice there on your outline that you have today, and by the way, if you didn't get one of these, I want you to have one. So ushers are prepared right now. They're coming down to the front, and they'll give you one of these on your outline and I think on the slide as well. We're going to take a look at the path forward for us to share with one another with risky trust in ways that helps us grow forward. The first thing that I noticed there are seven spirit-inspired abilities. 
Uh, did you notice that the two words that follow uh, the first three, uh, four of those phrases, would you say them out loud with me? Do it. We live in Washington County. We can rip off Nike's name here. It's a part of branding. There we go. So it says that we are variously gifted. So if you're prophesied, wait until you're in a small group, until you feel just perfectly right, or until someone calls you in a weekend service to the platform and then speak God's words, right? No. When do you prophesy? Whenever. Just do it. Your responsibility to do it. Some of you have a gift of prophecy here. I'm looking for Greg Johnson. He's around here someplace. Greg Johnson speaks his mind right there. Would you raise your hand again? He speaks his mind. Greg, I think you have a gift of prophecy. Now, not every time you speak your mind are you speaking God's words. Okay, we'll not put that on you because if we put that on you, then if you ever fail, we have to stone you and we don't want to do that. But Greg Johnson, in Jared's opinion, has a gift of prophecy. And if you hang around Greg, he's going to smile and he's going to say something and you're likely to hear something that God is saying. If you have a tendency and ability to speak what God's saying in a situation, then it's your responsibility to do it. And we need for you to do that. How about serving? You have a special tendency empowered by God's spirit to serve. Bruce Jackson, in my opinion, you have a, a gift of service. And so Bruce is going again to Guatemala. When there's work days around here, Bruce is here. It's not just because he's a wonderful guy with a generous heart. It's that he has a gift of service. And unlike me, who is also generous and good-hearted, when he serves, good things actually happen. When I serve, broken things get worse. You understand? There's actually a gift there. And how about teaching? You take God's wisdom and help us understand it. John Weller, you have a gift of teaching, among other gifts, and your life has been one and continues to be one of teaching through things that you say and things that you write and do. I'm looking at Matt. Matt, I think my belief is that one of your gifts is a gift of teaching. Now, you have a PhD. You don't use that in a teaching skill at your work, but what you do is you teach most Sundays here in eKids. You have a gift of teaching that you contribute to others, helping us understand God's wisdom. There's those of you that are gifted with generosity. Uh, I, I never pick out, or I usually don't pick out people. There's a sensitivity that we have in our culture about money. Uh, it's, it's distinct to our culture, but I'm respectful of it. And in our culture, it's awkward to be outed about money. Not to say that Bruce and you guys weren't awkward with me outing you about your gifts, but I won't out anybody about money. But there are people here at Evergreen, for example, and there's some people in this service that have come up during summer camp season and just quietly on the side said, just let us know if there's any kids that can't go to camp because of money, we'll just write a check for the rest of that. That's wonderful. It's a generous gift of giving. And then there's leading. That's modeling the way and inviting us to look in on where you're going. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I think uh, about uh, Shane and Jill uh, and, and about leading and a way that you lead that is exemplary in my opinion. You guys choose to organize your very busy and productive lives around a sense of, a sense of principles. And then after the big things are in your calendar, you accept and look at and vet other opportunities that come your way. But you are very thoughtful about the things that you're going to make commitments toward. That's a gift of leadership in action. And then there's mercy. I don't know if Lori uh, Schultz is in, this, is in this service or not, but many of you know Lori Schultz. And where is she? She's right there. That's mercy right there, Lori. Bob, would you wave? There we go. There we go. That's right. There it is. 
That's Lori. Lori, you're not only are nice to us, but you smile about it. That's the gift of mercy with cheerfulness that's there. Now, here's the point, folks. Every one of you are gifted by God's spirit. And this is not a comprehensive list. It's illustrative of many others as well. But here's the big point. You are gifted by God. Here's point number two. We need for you to get at it and to do it in your life. At home and with your friends and at work and with school and with your neighbors and with your clubs and down at the coffee shop, we need for you to do your part. We need for you to do your part. We are only going to get healed when you do your part. You still broken and unput together person. Here's the paradox. We only get whole when we, when we open ourselves to a broken community. Is that a paradox or what? We only get whole when we open ourselves to a broken community. So we're not going to put on Greg Johnson that every word he says is God's word. But we're going to take the risky faith to hang out with Greg Johnson because if you hang out with him enough, you're going to be hearing some things that God is saying right now in this moment. And that's how we construct our lives to be in a community together. Not because the community is never going to mess up. Trust me, folks, if I'm in your group, it'll be messed up. But it's only in community that I'm going to be accessing the gifts that I need from God that are in you and that you're accessing the gifts that God has put in me that are within me. So these inspired possibilities only happen when we connect together. So here's your questions. Because we need for you to contribute to us this week, how and where are you going to make that contribution? And then the switch of that question, because you need for others here to contribute in your life this week, how are you going to organize your life for that to happen? We're differently gifted. So we have a different perspective. We see things and hear things and say things and do things that are different. And this thing that should be a cause for celebration, woohoo! We are different, is often instead a cause for comparison and suspicion and for judgment. What should cause us to come together in community? Because ultimately, I should most appreciate how you're different from me, because that's what I need, are the very things often that cause us to form judgments that separate us and divide us. So from a perspective of a one-on-one -on -one relationship, I need you to contribute to my life, and you need me to contribute to my life, so we need to find out a way that we can hang out together periodically so that that actually has an opportunity to happen. What we want to say to each other is, I accept you, and I especially appreciate how you're different from me, because that's most what I need from you. That's a one-on-one -on -one relational point of view, just for fun. Let's take a couple of minutes to talk about a congregation to a congregation point of view. Is this a surprise to you that some churches are a little bit different than other churches? You notice that? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. So, trick question. You don't want to answer this out loud. Don't want you to be embarrassed. How many churches does Jesus have in Washington County? One. You're right. You're one. Yeah. 
So when you read the Bible and there's these books that are written to churches, the church is usually identified by what? The name of the city, right? Because Jesus looks at a region and he sees a church in the region. And then just like a body has different members. And by the way, I think Rick Pugh, Rick is not here, is he? He comes in the next service. Did you know that our friend Rick Pugh had two fingers smashed last week? And Rick and I have a good relationship. So when he texted me at like 4.20 in the morning in the emergency room, he he actually got a text back. And uh, I prayed for him right then and stayed in touch. And because Rick knows me well, do you know the next text that he sent me? A picture of his smashed fingers because he would knew I would appreciate that so much. It was awesome, yeah. And I did appreciate it. Last Sunday he saw me and it was all wrapped up and he's all in a sling and all this stuff. And he said, should I apologize for sending the picture of my fingers? I said, no, no, thank you. Very few people love me enough to, to show me smashed appendages. It was just amazing. Time. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Rick can't do his job because two little fingers were smashed. Rick can't, <laughs> Rick can't be the farmer that he and Kathy are on their farm. This is apple season. They have a big apple orchard. You can't go and collect the apples. All this to say, you'd say, Rick, you're silly. That's only like 1% of your body weight. 99% of you is perfectly okay. But that's not how the body works, does it? Rick's whole life has been turned upside down because 1% of his body weight has been injured. Here's the deal. You can't say to yourself, my contribution isn't that big a deal because we have to have 100% participation. And you cannot say, I am unique And so I can do my thing as a solo follower, and I really don't need the contribution of all of those raspy, imperfect people. Because every member contributes to the whole. I think that's true about the church of Jesus in a region. I think that there's lots of different kinds of churches for lots of different ways. Now, is every church perfect exactly what Jesus has told them to be? I would guess not. I don't imagine that we hit the 100%. But my guess is that the Holy Spirit does call churches to have different kinds of emphases. And the result is that people in Washington County see Jesus best when they see Jesus through the lives of believers and through various expressions of his life in churches. For example, just to have a little bit of fun. I think that in addition to theology and style and a lot of other things, churches differentiate themselves about what they do to be biblical, For example, you might notice it on your notes. There, uh, by the way, I have never talked with a church that said it wasn't biblical. Okay? That's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? We follow Jesus, we believe the Bible, and we don't, we are not biblical, right? That's That's why fighting with others about whether or not they're more biblical or you're more biblical in the way we do church, probably not very helpful, because we all start with a good hearted assumption. But what we add to that as a point of emphasis is sometimes a differentiator. For example, there are some churches that prioritize in one of these three ways. There's churches that are Bible plus knowledge. And they would say the Holy Spirit among us is primarily a teacher. And as a result of a good time together, we, what's the word? We know, we know more. And you know that you're a part of that kind of a church when people actually say after the sermon, that was a really good sermon. That's not what you say to me very often. So I don't know if we're there or not. That was fun. You can lighten up a little bit. It's okay. We're having some fun here together. Yeah. And how about the Bible and emotion church? The spirit inspires. 
So we really know that we had a great time together because we felt the Spirit move. There's language like this. Didn't you feel the Spirit today? The Spirit was really with us today, wasn't he? And there is an inspiration from that. How about the Bible in action? The Spirit primarily empowers us. And we say he empowers us to go do stuff when we leave here. So there's I know, there's I feel, and there's I do. Sometimes we say head, heart, and hands. And by the way, every church I have ever known of and been around says we're all for all of the above, aren't you? We want our heads fixed, we want our hearts fixed, engaged, and we want our hands active. But how many churches do you think actually pull it off? 33 and a third percent distributed across the three. Well, Ann and I have had the privilege of visiting well over 300 churches in the United States and a bunch more internationally. And I would suggest to you that when you visit a church, you can pretty quickly figure out which of the three, right in this season of time, they tend to be prioritizing toward. Yeah. So this is going to be fun. All of you are going to vote. Even those of you that are guests today, because you've been around here long enough, maybe, to have already figured this out. I'm going to ask you to vote. Just a minute. Don't check in with anybody near you. That's a cheat. This is a private ballot. Well, it's not private. It's a private ballot, but it's a public setting. Here we go. So I'm going to ask you the question, how many of you, uh, how many of you think Evergreen leads toward uh, being uh, uh, no? How many toward feel? And how many toward do? Are you ready to vote? How many toward no? The Bible and knowledge. Here we go. That's why I get so few. That was really a good, deep sermon. <laughs> By the way, we're going to form new, new groups today. And those of you that raised your hands, I want you in my group right there. because I'm with you. Okay. How many of the Spirit inspires? We feel. It's a good service if we leave inspired and feeling good. There we go. How many of you are, I think it's the action. We leave here and go, whew, I'm going to have a lot to do this week. There we go. Yeah. Well, we're not even in agreement about that. Yeah, very fun, yeah. Well, I don't know your thoughts about the action thing, but apparently some of you have noticed that every time we leave, there's something to do. There is, yeah. So I hope the head, heart, and hand, we all find a way forward on, but Evergreen is kind of a doing church. Now, I want to identify that because what I'm about to say next is really important if you're an Evergreener. If you're going to grow forward in an area and you are an Evergreener, Do you think you're going to grow primarily by knowing more, feeling more, or doing more? Probably doing more. And so it's no surprise that I picked a text today, which is going to have one brief paragraph with 20 verbs in it. Yeah. By the way, can I be more spiritual? The Holy Spirit led me towards sharing out of this particular passage with you today. That's right. That happens to be true, but we usually keep the language around here pretty uh, not presumptuous, shall I say. And I'm going to ask you to read with me, follow as I read from verse 9, the next few verses, and especially notice the 20 verbs. Because if we're going to grow forward in being trustworthy people, we're probably going to leave here today with a conviction and a commitment about living life in a biblical way expressed by this passage. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what's evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. 
patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited, period. This is our answer to the trust problem. The second thing that I see, and the last thing that I see from this passage, and the screen's going to bring them up for you, is I hope you are trustworthy. Faith is risky. I'm feeling drawn into engaging in community and relationship. I'm taking a risk. You might lead me down a path like the Three guys in the foursome of my friend last Saturday. I'm risking this. I hope you're trustworthy. Secondly, I'll go first. If I don't, if I wait for you, we may never get there. I'll go first. And number three, you can trust me. A trustworthy person. I will be trustworthy. Would you say that phrase with me out loud? I will be trustworthy. Matt, I will not be perfect this week, but every day I will try to be trustworthy for you. Yeah. Steve, this week, I will be trustworthy for you. Jason, this week, I will be trustworthy for you. What do you think might happen in a church if we all gave our attention to being trustworthy? What do you think might happen to a community? What do you think might happen to a culture? If the decision went from making an evaluation which forms distrust and distance to a, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to give my attention to be trustworthy. And what I find out of those 10 verbs as I consolidate them is what I call the trust building top 10. It's not on the screen, but you'll find it there in your notes. And I'm going to ask you to take your notes and read it out loud with me boldly and clearly, starting with the word respect. Would we do that together? Respect and honor others. Keep spiritually fired up. Be joyful and hopeful. Be patient in tough times. Pray every day. Share with people in need. Open your calendar and your home. Express empathetic sorrow and joy. Whoa, just a minute. Just a minute. Can we just all laugh about that? I, I wrote that word right there. And we're going to have to change these notes for the next service because I can't say empathetic. There we go. Number nine together. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, stuck up, or conceited. Wow. David, I respect you and I honor you. And I'm going to show up every day this week in some one-on-one time with God to keep spiritually fired up for you. And when we get together later in a couple of weeks, You're going to find me joyful and hopeful. 
And I'm going to be patient in tough times, mine and yours. I'm going to pray every day. You're going to come to mind some of those days. I'm going to pray for you. I want to be a person sharing with others in need. If you have a need, you can count on me. I want to express empathetic sorrow and joy when we check in. And I want to keep an open calendar to you because we do meet periodically and you've been in our home. And I want to live in harmony with you. I don't want to be proud or stuck up or conceited. Hmm. Sarah, you were at this church a long time before I was. For lots of reasons, you deserve a trustworthy pastor. I respect you and I honor you. And I'll keep spiritually fired up for you. And I'll be joyful and I'll be hopeful. I'll be patient in tough times, mine and yours. I'll pray every day. I'll keep my calendar and my home open to others. And I hope that I've expressed empathy in times of sorrow that you've experienced and in times of joy. I want to live in harmony with you and others. I don't want to be proud or stuck up or conceited. I commit this week to be trustworthy for you. Isn't God good? He looked ahead and he saw 2016. I think he saw, I think he saw a nation which was by and large, not completely, but by and large started with people with the very best of intentions and many of them with a godly point of reference and faith. And a culture that has shifted through a variety of sins and stresses and experiences that has now given birth to the generation of millennials, only one out of five who can say, I should trust anyone. And I think when he inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words to a church at Rome, I think God looked ahead and I think he saw us today and I think he saw us at Evergreen and I think he saw the particular people that would be in this room today And that includes those of you that are guests with us today. For a variety of reasons, you may never be with us again. I think God brought you especially for today because he has something that he wanted to say to you today. I think for all of us today, he's given us an invitation that says, in the middle of the brokenness and the distrust and the shatteredness and the trends in our culture, the the epidemic of loneliness that's creeping around us and among us, and the pain that all of us have experienced with being disappointed by various institutions and individuals, including the church and Christians, the pathway forward is still the right path of risky trust. And so my questions for you are, how has God gifted you? Whatever you suspect he might have gifted you to do, we need your contribution this week. And a second question, how are you positioning yourself this week so that you can have access to God's gifts and grace from others because you'll only ultimately become whole in Christ by doing that from broken people? 
In a moment, Anne's going to come. She's going to introduce you to what's going to be going on in the group fair that we have every fall, this Sunday and next week as well. An opportunity for you to take a fresh look at a variety of groups and engagement opportunities. And even if you're already a part of a group or two, maybe a group or two on your own, maybe a group or two that are a part of the organized groups at Evergreen, take a look at what's out there so that you can connect friends of yours to some of those and go with an open heart before God too, saying, is there some fresh connection point that you want for me this year? How are you going to connect? And then finally, would you join me in the, in the top 10 trustworthy actions and attitudes this week and say, I'll go first. I'll model the way. I'll be there for you. And I will be a trustworthy person. <laughs> This week, I heard a friend speak, and he was telling the story of going backpacking with his dad, his friend, and that friend's dad. The four of them, the guys were about 15. And uh, they were invincible, and they were rock climbers, and so they went off on a hike one morning a little ways from camp, and they saw a 40-foot cliff, and they decided to climb it without any gear. And things went well for them about the first 20 feet. Now, 20 feet doesn't sound high unless what? Unless you're the one. Up 20 feet, yeah. And you're up there without gear and they're holding on to the edge of the cliff and they can't go any higher. And you can't go down. Well, you can go down, but not the way you came up. And so they looked at each other and said, what are we gonna do? And finally they said, we need to do what 15-year-old boys should do when we're in trouble. Dad! They yelled, Dad! They yelled. And finally dad came around the corner. What did dad say? You're stupid. Yeah, idiots. It just wasn't helpful at all. Just as a, a basic dad thing that slipped out. And so dad, after letting them know precisely what he thought about their life choice, a little seminar and making good decisions, yeah. kids are hanging on the rock wall. He said to them, you're going to have to trust me. He said, you can't see it, but right above you, there is a lip And if you push off from where you are, you will both be able to grab the lip with your fingertips. And they looked at each other and said, let's wait for another option. (laughs) And pretty soon their legs began to, to scissor, it's called, from fatigue and arms as well. And now they're beginning to shake on the wall. And finally, in desperation, they decided to trust the dad. And they pushed off and they caught the lip, and they worked their way on the top. Hmm. Well, in the story, which is true, we're making it a metaphor, which is obvious, isn't it? Of course it's risky. Of course. It's risky to share your gifts. Of course it's risky to trust others as carriers of God's gift in their life. And of course it's risky to go meet with a group of people that you haven't met before in a place that's unfamiliar to you, people that may do things that are odd and strange, people that you have no experiential basis to trust. Of course, it's risky to go to a place and then decide it's not for you and then not show up again. Of course, this is messy and it's relationally risky. And I think we're hearing a father God to say, you can trust me on this one. Push off from wherever you are and take a risk of trust. And I think you'll live to tell a very good story as well. Let's pray.
God, thank you for loving us so much that 2,000 years ago you told us the truth. You recorded it in the Bible. You made it alive for us today by your spirit. You spoke into our lives personally and as a corporate community of people, and you've showed us your way forward. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to be who we are in you. Give us the humility to accept from you through others, and give us the courageous risk to step into some fresh relationships this fall where we'll grow up in you. Help us be trustworthy in Jesus' name. Would you say amen with me? Amen.